Greetings in Jesus' name. I'm Bishop Chester Wright, and this is a video teaching series, Praying in the Spirit. This is part one of that series entitled Learning How to Pray in the Spirit, and this is lesson number 12 of that series. And starting in lesson number 11 and continuing through lesson number 13, which is the next one after this, I am dealing with those five major hindrances that keeps a person who has been baptized in Jesus' name, filled with the Holy Ghost, from having liberty in the Spirit to be able to pray when in the Spirit through of a liberty in speaking in tongues whenever they need to or whenever God wants them to. In Jesus' name. So in this lesson, we're going to talk about the uh, the second one of those hindrances. And this one is uh, this one is more difficult to hear than you think. Uh, we want to talk about disobedience to the Word of God. Now, to give you an example of exactly what I'm talking about here today, there was a young man who was very rich, and after the crowd dissipated. He stuck around and came to Jesus. He said, good master, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Now, you would think by the question that he had a sincere desire to know the answer to that. But we find out from the answer and his response to the answer that what he really expected was to be bragged on by Jesus and saying, you got it. Everything's fine. Go from here. But let's look at this. Jesus says to him, uh, go and keep the commandments. And he said very confidently, I've kept all the commandments from my youth up. And Jesus looked on him, one of the gospel says, and loved him. So out of love... For this man, not out of anger or condemnation, out of love, Jesus said, go and sell everything you've got, give it to the poor, and come follow me. Ah, here we are. And I'm speaking today to those that keep all the rules. You would never consider missing a church service. You are so meticulously faithful with your ties. And whatever your pastor says is law. You're obedient to that. And you are one of the strictest separated and by our terminology, most holy people going. You just don't have any liberty in the Holy Ghost. I wonder why that is. You would certainly think that you would receive commendation from God and that your flow of the Spirit would rival anyone's. And yet it doesn't, does it? Now, this also applies to those that aren't quite so perfect in their performance as the specific person I've talked about. But the word of God says this, Acts chapter 5, 32, 
5 verse 32 says, and he, and we are his witnesses of these things. So also, so is also the Holy Ghost whom the, whom God hath given to them that obey him. Whom God giveth to them that obey him. Now, 1 Peter 1.22 says, Seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit, unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently. Now, what in the world could be the problem here? If I'm doing all the do's and not doing all the don'ts, doing everything the preacher says I'm supposed to do, and yet I don't have a liberty in tongues, what could be the problem here? Well, I'm not going to quote all the verses, but I encourage you to read them. Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, are very specific about those who came to God and received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. They began in the Spirit. But somewhere along the line, they began to do the things of God through their the ability of their flesh, through their own human will. Yeah. And Paul said, having begun in the Spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? And I'm paraphrasing here. You, you knew you could not earn or deserve the Holy Ghost. So you had to humble yourself Submit to the, the, the word of God and the will of God to be able to receive the Holy Ghost. At what point in time did you think it was now okay to live for God and work for God rather than the same need you had for the Spirit when you couldn't do it yourself and you let him baptize you initially is the same need you've got for the Spirit's empowerment to do what pleases him right now. What happened to you? Well, Paul calls it being bewitched. And that's a very offensive word, isn't it? Because that implies that we have been deceived. We've been deceived. And if you believe that by going to church faithfully, when you get a chance to do that again, in this, at the time I'm recording this, we're in uh, uh, lockdown. Can't go to church. But if you believe that going to church faithfully and paying your tithes faithfully and living all the things of holiness faithfully and obeying your pastor faithfully is enough to go to heaven, I should like to know what Bible you're reading because it's not the one I've been reading for the last 60 years. Not that It's not the same one. Because that's not the word the word of God teaches. Jesus said, if any man will be my disciple, let him... Deny himself. Let him come after me. Let him deny himself. Take up his cross daily and follow me. Whoa, whoa. Might not want to look too closely at what, at the Greek words in that verse, Luke 9, 23, and that's not an exact quote, but it's close. Because what you're going to find out, first of all, the word of God says, that we're to deny ourselves. That doesn't mean we just don't eat that extra helping of food today. Or we don't take that extra vacation this year. Or we give an extra $20 in the offering. No. The word deny there means literally to disavow ownership of yourself. 
You don't own you anymore. And if I don't own me anymore, then whose will am I living by? Not mine. I don't own me anymore. And then he said, once you've disavowed ownership of yourself, you are to take up your cross daily. Your cross, not his cross, your cross. And what is my cross? It's those things that God has allowed in my life that are negative to my comfort and my convenience and that may cause pain, problem, and pressure for the purpose of bringing me to the end of myself so that I rely on God to be and do all he wants me to be and do. So if I'm coming to Jesus for him to save my life here and now rather than my soul then, and that's my purpose of being a Christian, you won't have any liberty. Why? The Lord will not give liberty, the liberty of the Holy Ghost, to anyone who is unwilling to obey all of the word of God. Jesus will only give someone liberty where he is the Lord in their lives. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17. Now the Lord is that spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty, or as some translations see it, which is a little bit even more emphatic, the Lord is that spirit, and where the spirit is Lord, there is liberty. Because where the spirit of the Lord is, the spirit is Lord. And what does the word Lord mean? The word Lord means supreme ruler. And if he's my supreme ruler, who runs my life? Me or him? Do I pray and seek to find, know, and do his will by the grace of God? Or do I pray and tell him what my will is and ask him to bless that? So if there are things in the word of God that I know are in the word of God and I'm unwilling to do them, that'll shut me down in a heartbeat. And whatever tongues I'm speaking in, it won't be the Holy Ghost. It won't. Because the scripture says we can't even call him Lord but by the Holy Ghost. So if the, wherever the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And wherever the spirit is Lord, there is liberty. And if the Spirit is me in me, and the Spirit is praying through me, the Spirit is calling him Lord, and the Spirit's not going to lie for us. If he's not my Lord, not from a religious perspective, but from a practical daily standpoint, the Spirit's not going to pray through me in tongues and lie for me, proposing that I he is my Lord, when he doesn't run my life, when I run my life and make my own choices, and yet I go to church faithfully and I pay my tithes faithfully and I live separated faithfully and I obey the pastor faithfully, and yet I run my own life. I make my own decisions. This is called the spirit of iniquity. I quoted it earlier, but I'm going to read it now. 
Not everyone that said, Matthew seven twenty one. not everyone that says unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils. In thy name done many wonderful works. Then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. And the Greek word there, no, means I never had a relationship with you I approved of. Because our relationship was you telling me what you wanted and what you wanted me to do and expecting me to do what, what was your will. But I only approve a relationship where you submit your will to my will and pray to know and do my will. That's the relationship I approve of. Then what I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Now, they called him Lord. But the scripture says again, 2 Corinthians 3.17, Now the Lord is that spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And again, according to Strong's Greek Dictionary, Kyrios is the uh, is the Greek word translated Lord, and Strong says it means supreme in authority as noun controller, uh, as a noun, the controller, by implication, master. And Thayer says that the word means this, uh, he to whom a person or thing belongs, about which he has power of deciding, the master or the Lord, the one who is the possessor and disposer of a thing. He is not your Lord. He is not my Lord if I don't belong to him. And I don't belong to him if I'm not doing his will. Oh, I belong to Jesus. Yeah, what you what we really mean by that is Jesus belongs to me. And we prove who we think is in control because we're constantly telling him what to do. And we want to couch it in some kind of false humility of asking. Do this, give me this, don't let this happen, please do this, etc. And we have all these requests we make of our will, and we've never even stopped long enough to ask him what his will is about those things. So he doesn't belong to us. Excuse me, we, we don't belong to him. We're claiming him as our possession. And yet the Lord, whoever's Lord, is the one to whom a person or thing belongs. He is the supreme ruler. He is the controller. And Jesus said those that called him Lord, in fact, they doubled it every time it's mentioned in both Matthew 7, 21 and 22. It's repeated. In other words, they're trying to emphasize the fact that he's their Lord. Lord, Lord. We've prophesied in your name, cast out devils in your name. We've done many wonderful miracles in your name. Jesus says, depart from me. I never knew you. You're a worker of iniquity. And what is iniquity? Not doing the will of the Father. It's really that simple. So if I'm a Christian, and the whole purpose of me being a Christian is for God to save me my way and give me what I want, how I want it, when I want it, and to prevent everything I don't want from happening, from happening, then he's not in charge of me. He's in charge not at all. I just read you some verses that really talk about what a surrendered, obedient to the word life is like. Just read them. I don't know how much of I'll comment, but I'll read this. 
feel I'm supposed to read this. The Lord's given me these verses to read, so I'm going to read them. First text is Romans 8, verse 1, beginning with verse 1. There's therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. There's no period there. The sentence continues. There's only a comma. It's not even a semicolon. It's a comma. There's therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. It's the same thing Paul was talking about in Galatians 3.1. You've begun in the Spirit, but now you're walking in the flesh. No liberty in the Holy Ghost for a person that lives like that. Verse 2, for the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For the law, what, what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh, that for this purpose, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Well, in case we don't understand what that means, Paul is about to explain it to us, beginning with the next verse. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. But they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death. Well, if I'm fellowshipping with death because I'm trying to be a Christian by the strength of my own will and the strength of my efforts to live for God and work for God, it's death. That doesn't produce life. And it sure doesn't produce liberty. And there can't be any flow of the Holy Ghost when I'm walking the flesh because I'm carnal. In the culture I was raised in, because my mother was attending United Pentecostal Church when I was born, the word carnal is, the, we use the word carnal to talk about people out there that are doing bad stuff. But there is no way in the word, world you can interpret that word in the Bible talking about the un, spiritually unborn. The word carnal is those, refers to those who have been saved, born again, obeyed Acts 2.38, but are now living according to doing the things that they've been told they're supposed to do or that they think they're supposed to do them by their own efforts. That's what the Old Testament was like. Here's the law, go do it. Well, that the Old Testament proves man can't do that. And please God, and we can't do that and please God. The only way we can please God, Philippians 2.13, for it is God which worketh in us both to will, which is not only to desire, but to come to a resolution of desire where we make a decision, I'm going to please God and not myself. So it is God that works in us both to will and to do. It is God that activates in us the ability not only to resolve to please God, but to be able to do what we resolve, not by our strength, because it's not by might nor by power, but by the Holy Ghost, by my spirit, saith the Lord. So again, verse 6, for to be carnally mine is death, but to be spiritually mine is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can it be. So then they that are after the flesh cannot please God. Now, that can't word, that word in English cannot, that seems like such a, just a very common word to us, but it's not common in the Greek. The Greek word, dunamehi, is the verb root form of the Greek word dunamis, 
which is translated power and is usually referring to supernatural power. So Dunamehi is not, is having supernatural empowerment to do or act. So they that are in the flesh do not have the supernatural empowerment to please God. How in the world are you supposed to have liberty in the Holy Ghost if that's what we're living? But you're not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of Christ dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he's none of his. But if ye be, if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. In other words, the Spirit of God cannot abide in us without working on us to get us to be dead to our flesh. I keep reading. And, it, and hear what it says. Verse 11, But if the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his Spirit that dwelleth in you. Quicken our mortal bodies to do what? Not just quicken us and resurrect us at the end, but resurrect us from our old sinful lives, but quicken us every day to live the life in the spirit God wants us to have. How do I know that? Paul tells us, next verse, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live after the flesh. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the spirit... To mortify the deeds put to the death, the deeds of the body, ye shall live. And how do we know we are alive in him? Verse 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Oh, but here carefully. I can't be led by the Spirit of God unless I've surrendered to the will of God. If I'm trying to do my will and live for God my way, I'm doing the spirit of Cain. I'm bringing what I want to bring to God rather than what God prescribed for us to bring as the offering of ourselves. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. It is your reasonable and my reasonable service to give him what he wants, how he wants from me, not trying to tell him this is the way I'm going to do it. I want you to take this. The next verse says, be ye not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, proving what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. And I, I, I can't just, it would be laughable if it wasn't so serious that some people take those three words as, as, that are adjective defining the will of God and make that out to be three different levels of the will of God. That's a lie. Those are three different uh, qualities that nail down what the will of God is. The will of God is good. The will of God is acceptable. And the will of God brings me to fruition or spiritual maturity, or completion. Not perfection meaning flawlessness, but the Greek word means maturity, fruitfulness, and completion. In the will of God. That's what the, the will of God does. So I'm, I'm continuing reading. Let's go now to Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. 
Well, that's only Paul. He's a superhuman. No, this is the will of God for every one of us. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. Now, how in the world can I be crucified with Christ? Because I deny ownership of myself. I disavow ownership of myself. I take up those, I, I, I take up and embrace those things, those negative things that crucify me, that God has allowed in my life, that are intended to bring me to the end of myself so that I completely surrender myself to God. I ask this question sometimes. How many books in the New Testament the Apostle Saul write? Of course, the answer is none. Because Saul wrote no books of the New Testament until he became Paul. And the word Paul means literally in the Greek, end or small. So after God brought Paul to the place of crucifixion in Christ, where Paul was brought to the end of himself and he gave himself up completely to the ownership of God, he was still Saul. But when he did that, he became Paul. And, and so much of the great things God used Paul to do all happened after he became Paul, which wasn't till Acts chapter 13, the first time he's called Paul. Now, he was still used of God beforehand because God in his mercy was leading him and growing. And, and even though he wasn't yet to the end of himself, as long as he was walking step by step in the Holy Ghost as the Lord was leading him, the Lord continued to use him. But there comes a point in everybody's life. And right now, that point has come in the life of the church because we've been shut down to find out if we're going to give ourselves up to God and say, not my will, but thine be done. That's the way Christ was crucified. Not my will, but thine be done. That's actually the element. I can't go hang on a cross in, in Israel. I can't do that. But I can be crucified with Christ because I am brought to the end of myself and say, here it is, not my will anymore. It's got to be your will 24-7. That's being crucified with Christ. And what's the outcome? Yet not, nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Of the Son of God is a prepositional phrase of possession. It's not faith in the Son of God. That's not in the Greek. It's the faith of the Son of God or the Son of God's faith. So when I'm crucified with Christ and I'm no longer living, but Christ is living in me and the life that I now live in the flesh, whatever is happening in by and through me is done by the spirit and it's done by the son of God's faith. And what was the son of God's faith? He told us, whatever I see my father do, I do. Whatever I hear my father say, I say. And other places it's there, even though it's not said exactly like that, wherever the father sends me, I go. That's the son of God's faith. That's the faith I want to be living in me every moment of every day. But I can't have that till I come to the end of me. Now, verse 21 says, I do not frustrate the grace of God. For if righteousness come by the law or the efforts of the flesh, then Christ is dead in vain. So if I'm trying to live for God, or I'm trying to work for God, for God, for, not with, not him doing it through me, but for God. I call that the Pentecostal preposition. 
because I heard that all my life. And I tried to do it for decades. It doesn't work. Oh, it may work gaining the, the approval of man, but it never works gaining the approval of God. Ever. And that's why there's so many people that are faithful to church, and they are good people, but they have no manifestation and flow and liberty of God in their lives. They don't have it. They don't have it. They don't have it. Now, I'm reading, I quoted this earlier. This is the very next verse. Oh, foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that ye should not obey the truth? See there? I'm talking about disobeying the truth. And what is obeying the truth? Before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth, crucified among you. This only would I learn of you. Receive ye the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith. Are you so foolish? Having begun in the Spirit, are you now made perfect or mature? Are you growing by the flesh? Is the flesh helping you to grow in, in your relationship with God? Is it by the flesh you're growing in grace and the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? Because if it is, have you suffered so many things in vain? Because it's in vain. It is in vain. Now, two chapters later, Paul says this. He says, chapter 5, verse 16, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. He didn't say, if I walk in the Spirit, I won't have any lust of the flesh. He said, if I walk in the Spirit, I won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. Because if I'm walking in the Spirit, I'm, I can only walk in the Spirit if I'm submitted to God. And the word walk implies one step at a time. So if every step that I take in life, is submitted to God and His will, I am walking in the Spirit. And if I walk in the Spirit, there's not going to be an opportunity for me to fulfill the lust of the flesh. But then Paul explained, explained exactly how critical this is. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary, the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. Here's my flesh, and I have the Spirit. But in between the flesh and the spirit is me, my soul, the real me. And that's where my will abides. And my will has to decide who's going to win. My flesh that wants to exalt my will and exalt me or the will of God which exalts God and not me. Which one of those is going to be? So if you want the spirit of the Lord, and the liberty of the Spirit in your life. He has got to become Lord. That's why Galatians 5 and 24 and verse 25 says, And they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with, or by means of, the affections and lusts thereof. So the word affections there in the Greek is almost always translated sufferings. So how do how am I crucified with Christ? How's my flesh crucified with Christ with the affections of lust? I stop resisting and resenting the things that he allows in my life and give thanks in everything, which is the will of God in Christ Jesus for us. Because my father who's in control has allowed these things in these, in my life to bring me to the end of myself so that I will if verse 25, for if we live in the spirit, let us also walk in the spirit. And I cannot live in the spirit while I'm doing 
the things of God through the flesh. I can't. Now, I know this has been a very difficult lesson for some of you to hear. And if you're hungry for God, you'll replay this one a time or two. Play parts of it and stop and pray and play parts and stop and pray. And you'll get the Bible out and read these verses for yourself. If you're hungry for God and if you desire to have a liberty and a flow in the Holy Ghost, that's exactly what you'll do. And if you don't, I'm not your judge. But it would appear to me that you're not hungry for God. Because this isn't about me and my teaching. This is about you and Jesus and whether or not you have a true place of victory in your life. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I loose the spirit of the love of God and the grace of God upon you to move in your heart, your mind, your soul, your spirit, and to give you the spirit of revelation so that you would know you don't belong to you He bought you with a price. You're not in charge. He is. So that he can be your Lord in truth. And so that you can have the full fullness of the indwelling and liberty and the manifestation of the Holy Ghost in and through you as rivers of living water. God bless you. I love you. And Jesus loves you. In Jesus' name, amen.